Um, if you're thinking, man, what is this handsome guy? Uh, I'm Mexican and Palestinian, and so if you're thinking that's a weird mix, yes, it is. Um, and for some reason, the Lord decided to make me something like that. Um, and so today, today's message is, is going to be a good one. Um, I had a lot of fun writing it out. Um, and something that I like to do before I preach, uh, usually when I remember and I'm not too nervous, <laughs> is uh, if you could join me and pray for me and pre- prepare my heart to give this message. Um, Lord, I pray, Father, this message is it's yours, Lord. Um, I'm not doing this message for my glory, um, but for your glory, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would soften my heart, Lord, that any pride that tries to come out of me, Father, that you would squash it, Lord. I'm doing this, Father, because I love you. I'm, giving, I'm putting all my trust in you that these are the words that you want me to speak, Lord. And I pray for every brother and sister here today, Lord, that their hearts would be open to receive, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that for anyone, wherever they came from, wherever, however their week was, Lord, that they would get something out of this message, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you are good, that you see us as worthy, and that these words will penetrate their heart, Lord, and cause change in their life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So today's message is called Polar Opposites. Anyone hear of that word, polar opposites? Anyone? Anyone? Uh, so polar opposites, you might have heard this, this word uh, maybe in a conversation, maybe in a friendly debate, <laughs> you know. And uh, polar opposites is an idiom often used to describe people and ideas that are complete opposites. And so polar opposites are seeing things in extremes only. Good and evil, life and death, peace and war, heaven and hell, build and destroy. Those are all examples of polar opposites. And so the purpose of this message is to talk about one of the greatest polar opposites in existence today, the things of God and the acts of sin. In Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, it says this, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. And so we have seven things that, that God absolutely hates, right? Detestable is more than hate. It's this, this everything in your being that you do not like this thing. I do not like tomatoes. Everything in my being, I will not eat tomatoes. That is just something, if you didn't know that, I'm Mexican, I should, be, I should like tomatoes, but I don't. I just don't. And um, so you can imagine these sins are the things that the Lord absolutely hates with everything in him. And so number one is haughty eyes. Number two is a lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Number four, a heart that devises wicked schemes. Number five, feet that are quick to rush into evil. Number six, a false witness who pours out lies. And number seven, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. 
So we're going to go through a couple of these sins today. We're not going to go through all of them because there's seven, so that would take a long time. But we're going to look at specific sins that we talk about in this scripture, and we're going to look at the things of the Lord that counteract those things, right? And so number one is haughty eyes, haughty eyes. And so the definition of haughty is arrogantly superior or disdainful. And so the scriptural support, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide you support of why this is a sin. So if anyone's like, oh, that's not a sin. No, I'm giving you the scriptures to see, hey, no, this is a sin. It says it in the word of God. And so 1 John 2.16 says this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from this world. What this means is that when you have haughty eyes, it means that you are being, what, prideful. You feel as though you're better than others. To feel as though you are entitled to something more than someone else. And so why is pride so detestable to the Lord? Because pride communicates a misunderstanding of the heart of God. Now why is that? Well, the last time I checked, God loves the lowly as he loves the rich, right? Uh, He loves the right, right? We're talking about politics, the right as much as the left, right? That's hard to believe. Or he loves the U.S. as he loves the rest, right? You see, pride only makes arrogant Christians with a narrow understanding of what it means to follow the one, one of the greatest commands in the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, pride is saying that I am entitled to something more than someone else, that I am better than anyone in the room, is basically what pride is saying. And you see, the Lord's heart is that we love our neighbor as ourselves, And so pride cannot fit in that relationship, right? I cannot love someone and feel as though I am greater than them. I cannot. You see, love has, should not have no boundaries, just as the love of Jesus has no boundaries between people as well. And so the polar opposite of haughty eyes, right? This is the complete opposite. This is only that what you will find from God is humility. I remember uh, one of the jobs that I had growing up was what? Delivering pizza. I've talked about this multiple times. I worked for Pizza Hut. If you like Domino's, then I do too. I like it better. (laughs) Um, And so... I remember that my, emplo- my employees, my coworkers, sorry, I got ahead of myself. I wasn't the boss. Um, my coworkers, right, there was something that everyone hated. Everyone hated breaking down the boxes. Everyone. Because every time I went into work, what was there? A, a huge pyramid of boxes. Every single time I walked in. And I knew that people hated it. I knew that people were, were just kind of pushing it aside. And so guess what? When the boxes were left there the whole entire night, who do you think had to break them down? Well, not me, but the people that closed, right? The people that closed had to break down all these boxes because my fellow coworkers didn't want to do it because they didn't like to do it. And so what I did 
is that every time I walked into the doors at Pizza Hut, I, what would I do? I would go straight in the back, and I would break down every single box, and I would throw it in the trash can. Everyone knew that I was the one that would do it. And so you see, what am I doing here? I'm humbling myself. No one wants to do it. And so I become the one to do it. You see, humility is hand in hand with sacrifice. If you want to be humble, you have to sacrifice something of your flesh, right? Your flesh is always going to want to compare, to feel better, but humility calls you to lower yourself to the lowest you can be. There was something that my professor said when I was in college, and he said, uh, a race to be like Jesus should not be a race up, but a race down. The Lord was lowly and humble, not a great king with gold and jewels and diamonds. And that really affected me because, you see, I, I, I always picture Jesus with a, with a big crown and, you know, having all these jewels and all these things. But I have to remember that Jesus was born in a major. He was born in the lowest, the lowest, lowest thing you could possibly be in. He was a carpenter. He didn't make some kind of royal uh, scarf or anything. He was a carpenter. You see, humility calls us to sacrifice a piece of ourselves that our flesh does not want to always sacrifice. And so if you're wondering why I, I might not go into depth in some of these polar opposites, is because Pastor Jared actually is giving me the opportunity to come up with my own sermon series. And so this sermon series is going to be called Spiritual Disciplines for an Unperfect Life. And so this is what we're going to do in that series is we're going to go into depth into a lot of these polar opposites of these sins. And we're going to just go in deep and we're going to see how can we do this in our everyday life. And so this is going to be just a life application um, of what the Lord tells us to do. And so keep coming to church. Invite people, and you can enjoy that series, right? <laughs> um, this is just a little commercial. And so number two is a lying tongue. Definition of lying is dishonesty, statements that are untrue, deliberately deviating from the truth. Proverbs 12.22 is the, is the support for this. It says, the Lord detests. It doesn't say the Lord kind of shows a blind eye. No, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. And so I want you to imagine something with me. Every lie that you speak carries weight. And I'm not saying that some lies are bigger than other lies, right? I'm saying lies are lies and lies is sin, period. I'm not saying that there's somehow this kind of scale that the Lord has where he's kind of like, hey, you lied, and it was bigger than this guy, so you're going to hell, you're going to heaven. That's not, lying is sin, agreed? Lying is sin, period. But I want you to imagine that every time that you lie, it carries this weight with it. And as you continue to lie, the weight continues to grow, right? And so um, I go work out Monday through Friday at this gym, and there's always this, this dumbbell um, arrangement. And so if you don't know what dumbbells is and you're like, I don't remember the last time I went to the gym or whatever. Uh, so a dumbbell is just kind of this thing that you, you go like this. And so going from right to left, 
you have the little puny little weights that are like five pounds, you know, 10 pounds. And some of you are like, that's heavy for me, right? Um, and so that's the low. But as you go higher and higher, the weights get huger and huger. And so I've seen guys where they're doing like 100 pounds with these things. And so you can imagine Ollie at the end is the, is the biggest weight that you can possibly carry. And at this end on the right side is the lowest weight you can carry. And so I want you to imagine with me today. Every time you lie, you're going from the light weight to the heavier and heavier and heavier weight, right? And so sometimes the lie at first seems easy to carry, right? Um, and so you start with that light weight. Oh, man, it, I could easily do this. I could easily work out with this weight, right? And then you continue a lie and you go, you go further down the arrangement, further down in weight, right? And now it's becoming a little heavier to carry that lie, right? And then you keep lying and until finally you get to the 100 pounds and it's impossible to carry. And so I, for me, I could only do 35 right now, right? 35. If I were to go any higher, my muscle will give out. Maybe you, some of you guys are like, that's weak. Um, and so I want you to imagine every time you lie, you're going down this arrangement of dumbbells. And the, the lies are getting heavier and heavier until finally you can't even pick it up. With all your strength, you just, uh, you just can't pick it up, right? And so a lot of you know, because I, I talk about this openly, and I, I, I believe that I need to be honest with the sins that I've done before because if I want you to be freed from your sin, that I have to be honest with my sin too, right? And so... Um, I struggled with pornography and masturbation that were, were things that were, I was addicted to. And at first, it was easy to carry the weight, right? It was super light. No one knew. It, it didn't affect me. But when I began to, to go in this mindset that what I was doing was not affecting anyone, the weight started getting heavier and heavier. And the years started getting longer and longer where I was doing this addictions, right? And I continue to lie to myself. I, I, growing up, I, I used lying as a, a protective me mechanism. It was my way to protect myself. And so I thought as though if I told the truth, I would hurt people. But if I were to tell a lie, then I could get away with it. But little did I know, I was going down the row of those dumbbells. And it was getting heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And so finally, what? I can't carry the lie on my own. You see, when the lie becomes too, too heavy to carry, it doesn't only affect you, it affects everyone around you. When I, when I presented that and I was honest with, that, with those addictions, that, that weight had become so hard for me to carry that it affected everyone around me, right? And I think... Maybe you're lying about something. Maybe that it's not addiction. Maybe it's something simple. Maybe it's that you're not, you're not great enough to deserve the Lord's love. And you keep building into that lie. And you keep building into that lie. And so it becomes too heavy to carry. And instead of coming to church and being with the Lord, you're away from the Lord at home. Because the lie has become too heavy to carry. You see, the li lies will always lead to destruction. But truth, 
Truth may hurt, but truth has no weight to carry but freedom. The Lord is helping you with the weight, but you have to be truthful to yourself as well, right? There's something called repentance. It's something that you used to hear in the old days of church, and I think we have to bring that back. Repent from your sins. What does that mean? Give your sins up to the Lord. Give your sins up to the Lord. You see, if you keep living in the lie and the lie and the lie, the weight is going to continue to grow and grow, and you're not going to be able to carry it. But if you were able to shed light with truth, the Lord will take that weight from you, and you will be able to live a life of freedom. Tell me, what sounds easier to carry the weight of your lie or no weight with freedom? And so the polar opposite of, lying, of a lying tongue is what? Truth. Truth. Truth is the only thing that will set you free. Truth. And what is the truth? The truth is only found in Jesus. No one else. Truth is only found in Jesus. The world will tell you that you can make up your own truth. That's what the world is, is really doing this right now. You make up your own truth. You decide your own morals. But the only absolute truth out there, church, brothers and sisters, is only Jesus. And it's only been Jesus. If you're searching for freedom, you will not find it anywhere else but in Jesus. You may find freedom from addiction and it's in your physical body. But if you don't show that and you don't give it to the Lord, then the spiritually you're in that addiction still. You have to give it to the Lord. It's the only way you will break it. Sin number three is feet that are quick to rush into evil. In Romans three fifteen through 17, it says, Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery marks their ways, and the way of the peace they do not know. Isaiah 59, 7-8 says this, Their feet rush into sin. They are, sh- they are swift to shed innocent blood. They pursue evil schemes. Acts of violence mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks along them will know peace. This is something that I've realized in the scriptures. In both of them, peace is not known. When you run to evil, right, it's saying the person that runs to evil, peace is not known. And I've known plenty of people in my life where it seems as though good is far and far and far away from their life. Have you ever known someone where it's like, just get it together, (laughs) And they, they do good for it a little while, and then they mess up. It's like, just get it together. Just get it together. Another thing that's interesting in, in the passage in Isaiah is it says, no one who walks alongside them will know peace as well. So what we see here is that this rushing into evil doesn't just affect the individual but it affects everyone around the person as well. You see, evil will always infect your life and those that are close to you. 
No matter what you do, evil infects and spreads. It's almost like poison ivy. Anyone know what poison ivy is? And so I had to, I had to look this up before church because I was like, does Montana even have poison ivy? I don't even know. You guys don't have poison oak. You do have poison ivy. Now you know. <laughs> and so I grew up in the Big Bear Mountains in California, and so my family would always go to the mountains. We're very just outdoorsy people. We would fish. We hunt. Uh, when Savannah was introduced to the family, he was, she was like, what's going on here? You know, my dad would come with the deer hanging all gutted out. <laughs> like, that was just my family. And so um, my cousin and my uncle were very outdoorsy, too, and so they got into ATVs, you know, the, the four-wheelers. And so they would go up the mountains, and they would just kind of explore. And so they got off because they got tired, and they started walking through the forest just to kind of get a look. And so they're walking through the forest, and there's vines all around. And uh, so they're walking around, and little did they know what happens. Poison ivy. And so they begin to get all itchy and itchy and itchy, my my uncle and my cousin. I'm not kidding you. I think for two weeks, they couldn't go out because everything was getting infected with this poison ivy. I'm saying they couldn't sleep in their bed. They had to clean, they had to wash everything two, three times because the oil from the poison ivy gets stuck on your, on your body, right? So you have little indents in your hands and stuff. It gets stuck in there. It gets stuck on your clothes. And so my uncle and my cousin would lay down and they couldn't escape the itch because the oil was spreading. It was spreading everywhere. And so for those two weeks, you know, my family would always visit my uncle and my cousins. We couldn't visit them because they were just spreading the poison ivy everywhere around their house, everywhere. And so what began with my uncle and my cousin spread to my cousin's brother, to my cousin's sister, to my aunts. It just started spreading, right? And um, with poison ivy, I mean, it feels unbearable. It's not like a mosquito bite where you can kind of like not itch it and it'll get eventually. Like it, it itches and it's irresistible. You just have to itch it. And you see, what, why am I talking about poison ivy? Well, poison ivy is like evil. When you come on contact with it, it continues to spread, right? And so when you come in contact with evil, it's on you. Just like it's on your clothes, it's on you. And what happens is you come in contact with your family, with your friends, all these things. And what happens? The evil begins to spread. The evil begins to spread. Usually with people in addiction, how do they get addiction? One of their friends showed them that drug, right? That's usually how it happens. And so it continues to spread and spread. And so the evil, when, you, when you're rushing to evil, what happens? It spreads to your friends. It spreads to your family. It spreads to everyone around you. You see, the, the, the sin, when you're quick to rush into it, evil is the only, way, the only answer. That's the only thing that's going to happen when you rush into sin. But the opposite of side of that is you also have the opportunity to rush into good, right? I, I like to think when you're rushing for something, right, you have the choice to rush. Me and Savannah, we, we go shopping a lot, and we're, we've been shopping for the baby, obviously. And so, um, you know, sometimes we get in a rush, and then sometimes we're like, wait, like, why are we in a rush? <laughs> you know, like, 
Do you ever have those moments where you're just shopping for groceries and you feel like you're in a rush, but you have nothing after, right? And so you have the choice to rush. And this sin, right, is saying that this person chose to rush into evil. Well, you can choose to rush into good, right? You have a choice. It's a choice. Some people say, I, I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a choice. I, you know, my friends, my family, no. Evil comes down to an individual choice. Stop blaming it on people. When I was in pornography and masturbation, it was my choice. I blame no one for that, right? Sin is usually a choice, right? I like how it says that when you're lying, you're, you're deviating yourself from the truth. What does that mean? You're choosing to separate yourself from the truth. And so when you rush into evil, what are you doing? You're deviating yourself from good when you have easy access to it. And so the polar opposite of rushing into evil is running into good. And you have to really think about this. Has evil ever fulfilled you, right? Maybe it felt good for the moment, but did it ever fill you up? You know, when when you're watching pornography, when you're doing drugs, lusting, whatever it might be, right, whatever sin it might be, think about it. Have those things ever fulfilled you? Or did it feel as though within you there is this, this clash of identity? You see, God never created you for evil. He created you for good. So what this means when you rush into evil, you are not only rushing into evil, you're rushing into the complete opposite of what God created you for. You see, run towards good. Tr- trust me, you, you're not going to regret it. Run towards good. Run towards truth. Run towards Jesus. He is always the answer. It's a really cheesy thing to say. Jesus is always the answer, right? He's always the answer. He's always the answer. What's the complete opposite of evil? Good. And what is good? God. God is good. Evil will always, always lead you to destruction. Always. I think some people have it in their mindset that somehow evil is going to lead to something better. No, evil leads to destruction unless you repent, right? You give those sins to the Lord. The last one is a person who stirs up conflict in a community. Conflict, the definition of conflict is a struggle and a clash of interest, opinion, or even principles. And so 2 Timothy 2.24 says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. When someone disagrees with what you are saying, maintain a gracious, gentle, and patient attitude instead of becoming angry and defensive. Anyone for you? Does that scripture like, is like, that's me. <laughs> You're like, when people, when people disagree with me, I want to quarrel. I want to fight, you know? It's just kind of our flesh to want to fight when, when someone uh, wants to come against us. And the Lord is saying here, no, maintain a gracious, gentle, and patient attitude. I've had multiple times where people will come to me before I preach, and they'll ask me for something. 
And um, it's not that I don't want to listen to them. It's not that I don't want to help. But sometimes you can feel the manipulation, right? They're trying to make me feel bad. They're trying to come up with things. Oh, um, I need money because my account is frozen. (laughs) I need money because something, something. And so I had this conversation with with this guy. And I ended up, I was like, you know what? I can't help you with money, but you're saying that you're going to get a check on this day. I will physically take you to cash in that check. If I can't help you anywhere else, I'll help you by t- driving you because this guy didn't have a car. I'll physically drive you to take you and cash in your check. And I said, on Friday, let's go do it when you get the check. Guess what happened? What happened on Friday? He didn't show up, right? He didn't show up. But what did I do? I remained a gracious gentle and patient attitude it's hard it is really hard it's against everything the world has told us to do right the world tells us to fight the world tells us to be in an uproar right why is it that um sorry if there's any karens in the room but why is it that people say you know that person's a karen right (laughs) not not you okay you're not like that (laughs) (laughs) you're not like that Um, but why do people say that why because they're they're not doing what the Lord says they're not remaining in a gracious gentle and patient attitude right not that Karen doesn't do that (laughs) so 1 Corinthians 1 10 says this I appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there will be no divisions among you, but that you will be perfectly uni- united in mind and thought. Why is it that the Lord doesn't want division between, between people? Why? Well, something that's interesting is that the Lord ends this list of detestable sins that he hates with what? Community. Stirring conflict in community is the last one on this list of detestable sins. Stirring conflict in community. You see, community is at the very center of the Lord's heart. The Lord wants us to be in community with him, with our family, and with each other. I mean, this is, this is clear from the very beginning in Genesis. Adam and Eve are in community with each other. And in, with who? In community with God, right? Community is a part of the Lord's original design. And so when people decide to stir conflict within the community, the Lord detests it because of the community the Lord is so driven to see between humanity and himself. Why is community number seven? Because community, right, if there's division between community, it means I'm not loving my neighbor as myself. It means that there's something, maybe I have pride, right? And I I would go as far to say these seven detestable sins all have to do with the obstruction of community in some way or another. People not getting along, doing something against someone else, right? Affecting other people. And so the, the polar opposite of a person who stirs up conflict in community is being a peacemaker. 
being a peacemaker. Isn't that harder to do? It's harder to do than it is to say. <laughs> Be a peacemaker. I can say all I want, but when someone comes against you, what do you want to do? You don't want to be a peacemaker, right? It's hard, right? But remember, Jesus was spit in the face. He died for our sins. He had any, at any moment, he could have rained destruction on every, all the Romans there. He could have. But what did he do? He was humble and he took it because he knew, he knew what it was for. So when I was 18, I got to come to Montana and be a part of one of Faith Chapel's camps uh, as, a, as a cabin counselor. And so this was my first time doing this as a leader. These kids didn't know I was 18, and these kids were 18. I just seemed to, I, I seemed more mature, older. And so I was with these kids, and, uh, you know, all these kids are from really hard backgrounds. And so if you don't know how camp works... If people don't know you and the kids don't choose to be in your cabin, what do you end up with? You end up with all the bad kids, <laughs> and that's what happened. And so I remember I had these two, two native, or I had one native boy in my cabin, and his name was Vern. And um, do you guys know what carpet pool is? Carpet pool? Or, yeah, carpet pool. Yeah, that's what it's called. So I didn't know what it was. Uh, but when I came to Montana, I found out what it was. So you basically, you have a pool ball, and you're kind of playing bowling with it. I don't know how to describe it. So you're playing bowling with it. And so there's kind of these two sides of um, pool balls, and you're trying to hit the pool balls into the opposite end's hole. Okay? And so I'm playing it with Vern, right? And I'm playing it with Vern, and what does he say? He's like, you know, I came out of juvie just like two days ago. <laughs> And, and he's like, and you know, I did this, and I did that. And, you know, he's trying to get me scared is what it felt like. He, he's trying to see where I'm at. And so he's like, I came out of juvie two days ago. I did this. Um, I did this. And I'm just playing with him. I'm, I didn't get mad at him. I didn't say, hey, don't say that out loud, <laughs> you know. I just continued to play this simple carpet pool game with him. Just played with him. And something about me that you need to know is that I usually draw closer to outcasts than I do normal people. That's just what it seems like. And so you guys are all outcasts. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love all you guys. Um, and so I'm playing pool with Vern, and we're, he, he's starting to kind of warm up to me. And instead of it seeming as though he wants to kind of make me uncomfortable, it seems as though he's truthfully just saying what has gone on in his life. And so what I didn't know is the, the year before, Vern had gotten in trouble at camp and was kicked out of camp for doing something inappropriate. I'll just say that, something inappropriate. And so he got kicked out. I didn't know this because, right, I'm just visiting Montana to be part of the camp, so I didn't know this. And so um, throughout the week, I am just having lunch with Vern. I'm just um, playing carpet pull with Vern. I'm just talking to Vern. I'm just being a friend, right? Because um, there was two native boys at that camp, and they, what they said was that they just felt as though they were outcasts, as though people just thought that they were people that were going to steal and things like that. And so I made sure that they didn't feel like that with me. And so I just was their friend. I just continued to be the friend. And so one day, 
Vern, right? And so the community at this camp was a little disrupted by Vern's presence because they knew what he had done the year before without me knowing. And so one day Vern comes up to me and he says, Aiden, I want to be baptized. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus, right? The door has opened. And he was like, and I want to be baptized by you. I was like, oh, great. Like, I've never baptized anyone. Yeah, I'll totally do that, right? And so I remember, I remember it perfectly. It was nighttime at um, this camp, and it was nighttime. It was stormy. It wasn't thundery. It wasn't rainy, but there was lightning. It was just lightning and lightning and lightning, right? And so I'm thinking in my mind, I'm going to baptize this kid in the lake, <laughs> right? That's my mind, right? And so I, I told everyone, I said, no matter what, I am going to baptize this person in the lake. And so the person that I was under in this cabin was like, no, you need a lifeguard, and it's lightning, and so you can't be in the water because it could strike the water. And I'm just like, no, but the Lord told me to baptize this guy. And um, the word just got out. So all the students knew that this kid was going to get baptized. And now I had to walk the walk of shame um, through everyone and be like, no, the, bapti- the baptism's off. The baptism's off. And everyone was like, what? Like, what the heck? And we're all waiting, but my uh, cabin leader was just completely against it. And so now he's being, a, my cabin leader is being a little aggressive. He's kind of like my age. Like he was 20, I was 18. And so he kind of is walking with me and saying how I should be in trouble for even thinking about baptize, that I shouldn't have promised that. And so I'm just, I'm not really listening to him, honestly. I was just like kind of not hearing him. And I'm just walking and I'm just mad because I'm like, man, he wanted to get baptized. He was in juvie two days ago. Why, why is the community so disruptive by Vern's presence? He is asking to be baptized, and I have the opportunity to do that, yet everyone is against it. And so I'm walking back, right, through everyone, this walk of shame, and the youth pastor comes to me, right? No one knew about this, but the youth pastor, uh, the youth pastor, everyone knew about this, but the youth pastor did not. And so... I'm young, so I don't know I have to ask him for permission. I don't. Um, And so I come by him, and he's like, he heard from someone, and he was like, did you baptize the kid? (laughs) Is what the youth pastor said. And I was like, no, because my leader over here uh, doesn't want me to baptize him because there's no lifeguards and there's lightning. He was like, well, uh, you need to baptize that kid, so why don't you use the dunk tank? (laughs) You know what a dunk tank is? Uh, you sit on it, and you throw the ball so that someone falls, right? And so Vern, because I had to tell him that we couldn't baptize him, he, he left. Be, well, he didn't leave, but he walked away because he was upset. He wanted to get baptized. And um, I remember I was looking for him, so I went up to this leader, and he said, Do you know who Vern is? Did you know what he did last year? Did you know he came out? Ju-? I said, Yeah, I know all that, but does that mean that he can't be redeemed by Jesus? And I said, tell me, tell me, can he not be redeemed by Jesus because he did those things, right? And I said it out of, out of uh, righteous anger, all right? I didn't say it because I wanted to make him feel stupid. I said it because I was trying to show him, no, the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And what does that mean? That his redemption stands yesterday, today, and forever. We go into the dunk tank, and Vern, I tell Vern, I could baptize you, but it has to be in the dunk tank. And he's like, no, man. <laughs> he's like, I don't want to get baptized in a dunk tank. I was like, come on. You want to get baptized? I said that I will baptize you. I am going to baptize you. And he said, okay. He came in the dunk tank with me. I even said the wrong words when I was baptizing him. I said, like, the Lord, God, and the Holy Spirit or something like that. <laughs> and I baptized him, and I bring him up, and it was as though the dirtiness just cleaned off of him. And he had, oh, he had this, this joy in his face as though he had just done something remarkable in his life, which he did, right? We walk out the tank, and he, he has the towel over him. And we're walk, I'm walking him back to the cabin because it's time to go back to our cabin. And he says, Aiden, thank you so much. That's all he said, thank you. So, but I felt it. I felt as though he was truly thankful that I was willing to do everything in my power to baptize him. And he said, thank you so much. Why, why do I say this? Because the opposite of causing division with the community is being a peacemaker. I wanted to be a peacemaker for this kid, right? He had these things going on in his life where he probably felt as though everyone was looking at him, that he had all eyes in, on him, that there was no way that anyone was going to love him, and Jesus was probably this person that was far away from him. And then he opened himself up for baptism. And I said, you know what? Everyone is, <laughs> everyone is in division over this. The community at this camp is in division. But because you want to be baptized, I will be the peacemaker and I will tell everyone what it means to re be redeemed. And so, in conclusion, as, as we talked about the detestable sins and the sin that the Lord hates, and we also talked about the things that the Lord allows us to counter those sins, I want you to know something really important. You may have committed one of these sins, right? I committed the, the sin of lying that is detestable, that is hated by the Lord. One of the sins that the Lord absolutely hates. And, you know, the crazy thing is that I know, even though when I commit these sins, that I'm never too far to be redeemed. And that's the same for you. You are never too far to be redeemed, right? Some of you are probably sitting here today and remember the past, and you're thinking, man, I was far away, as far away as I possibly could from, be from Jesus, but I wasn't too far to be redeemed. And that's how much Jesus loves us. You see, there, Jesus gives you the opportunity, whether it's on your deathbed or whether it's you're in the midst of addiction, he gives you the opportunity to be redeemed. He gives you the opportunity to be redeemed. Just like Vern, when everyone thought it was impossible for him to change, to be baptized, Vern and I, paired with the guidance of the Lord, showed everyone watching what the Lord, what the love of Jesus can do. Jesus can do the same for you. Out of all this preaching, there's, there's one thing, this, this main thing that I want you to remember, okay? It's the word repent. Give your sins to the Lord. Give your sins to the Lord. Why? Because redemption will not come without repentance. You have to repent. And so there's this little 
quote that I wrote. If there's anything in this whole preaching that I want you to remember, I want you to remember this one thing, right? And write this down if you're taking notes. Repent, repent, and repent is the key to defeating the sins you regret, even the detestable ones. Let's pray together. Lord, I I thank you, Father, that we are able to be in proximity of redemption at any point in our life, Lord. Father, I pray for the prodigal sons and daughters, even in this room, Lord, redemption would reach them, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that, that that conviction to repent, to give these sins to the Lord would come so heavily within them, Lord, that they would do nothing else but repent and change.